Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Ricky. And this is Season 4, Episode 3 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, where we've got new equipment and new brews. Uh, This should come out on June 7th, 2021, and that was such a flat joke. (laughs) It was so bad. Um, But uh, first, before we get into anything, we get into our brews, I just want to thank Rob uh, for providing us with new equipment. He's been uh, steadily... Uh, giving to our podcast for a while and um, that has provided us with the ability to get some nice new audio gear and so hopefully that will translate to a nice new audio sound. Uh, But getting straight to the brews, uh, today we're going to talk about some of the Aloha Fruit uh, brew that I did on Accidental Brewer and the main squeeze that I did on Accidental Brewer. Now, the main squeeze is basically the fruit punch mead that I've done in the past with some additions uh, and focus on citrus fruits um, and trying to bring out some of the uh, bitter, some of the balance of bitter and sweet from uh, using the pith of the fruit to be able to balance that instead of using something like hops mm-hmm. to, to do that with. Um, so, cheers. Uh, what do you think, Ricky? Yeah, it's not too bad. It's um, it's definitely like semi-sweet. It's got a little bit of that uh, like fruit sweetness to it. There is a little bit of bitter. I like there. There's definitely a fruit flavor, uh, but it's at the same level, I think, as... When you talk about like fruit flavors and wines, mm-hmm. generally you're not really, you're, you say something like it's stone fruit yeah. where like, you know, it's hard to pick out. This is necessarily an apricot versus a peach, but it's got that sort of flavor profile. This is kind of the same way. There's definitely some, I almost want to say like a tropical fruitness to it. I feel like it f- tastes like there's a little bit of banana there, even if you know there's not, it's got that kind of like mellow, softer fruit sort mm-hmm. of feel. So yeah, not too bad. It's hard to pick out like a, a particular fruit. Like if you asked me to like dead set tell me what fruit this is, probably couldn't do it. But it does have that sort of like pleasant, like fruity aromas to it, um, and some sweetness from the honey too. Like the honey really comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one is all citrus fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, I put orange blossom honey okay. in a. I think it was a two gallon batch, um, and. The citrus fruits were um, lemon, lime, and orange, uh, mandarin orange. Okay. And I squeezed those juices in, uh, and I took and I um, was able to um, get some of the uh, zest of the the fruit. And then I took like one of the fruits and put that whole fruit in, so it got some of the pith. Okay. Um, So... I think if I was to change this, um, which which I probably will, I will probably only add like lemon or lime fruit to it mm-hmm. instead of, or I might add orange fruit to it. Like, yeah. like I still the same mixture of things, so the same mixture of juices, the same zests, but the whole fruit would only be one fruit, probably orange. Yeah. Uh, or or I would choose lime. I can taste all the different flavors of the lemon and the lime in it. Um, but it's because I think it's because I know what I'm looking for. And I, mm-hmm. from the last fruit punch mead that I did, I know what that kind of tastes like. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's, it's a, it's an odd color 
because this is like a ruby mm-hmm. color. It's very clear. Yeah. Um, it's not. Um, it's not cloudy or anything like that. Not mm-hmm. yeasty at all. Yeah. Well, orange blossom honey does tend to be a bit darker than regular honey, or like wildflower. I shouldn't say regular, because um, you should never make anything with clover. But uh, <laughs> wildflower versus. So, why do you say you should never make anything with clover? Um, clover is not as tightly regulated. So, wildflower honey. I think it's. I think actually, for all honeys apart from clover. Um, that are commercially produced have to be 80% or greater of what they say is in it. You can never be 100%, right? You're not policing your bees and telling them, hey, you're not allowed to go into the woods over there. But, you know, you set up your, you know, apiary near an orange tree grove. It's going to be orange blossom. And they can test for that. But uh, clover honey, I think, only has to be 40% clover. So what a lot of large honey producers, and granted, if you get smaller local honeys, it's probably not as big a deal. You know, you go to your farmer's market, you know, they're probably not doing FDA testing anyway, so you're, but they're, they're generally trying to serve a good product. But big honey, which feels weird to say, call it that, but big honey, the big industrial ones, will put in their 40% clover and then mix in the like leftover stuff from other batches. So... If you use like orange blossom or wildflower, you're generally getting pretty close to the same flavor flavor profile, especially orange blossom. Like wildflower, a lot of things can be wildflowers. So those can vary some, um, but generally they kind of stay close to the same for the region. You know, you get two wildflower honeys from here in the Piedmont, North Carolina. They're going to taste pretty similar because you kind of have the same wildflowers. It'll taste different if you get one from like Florida, but you can control those flavors pretty well. With clover, it's just a gamble. I mean, it could be 40% clover and 40% orange and then 20% dregs of whatever was left in the buckets afterwards for a whole bunch of different things. So it, it doesn't taste bad. And I won't even say it produces bad drinks. But, you know, most people that brew are trying to perfect a recipe they enjoy. And you really, with clover honey, you can't get that assurance that the next clover honey you get will taste anything like the one you got before. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I knew all this already. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about it once. Yeah, we, we have. It's it's one of my my uh, soapboxes I stand on with honey selection. Because I'm normally pretty chill about it. I don't care as much um, where the honeys come from. Because since they're, they're fairly regulated, unless I'm going for a particular flavor in a wildflower, ship me my honey from anywhere. I don't care. But I won't touch clover for that one particular reason. You just never know what you're going to get. So I think I was all off on this... Um, this uh, particular mead okay um it started out at 1.155 okay uh gravity Mm. it ended at 1.031 okay um, and then it went down to one or sorry it went to the second at at, so it's completely dry at this point it's down to Mm -hmm. one so it is um according to this 20 percent abv um, so I'm not sure I have the math on that completely right. Uh, but, um, let's just say it's over, it's over 15%. Um, maybe it doesn't taste that strong, it but doesn't. it could, it could be somewhere in that area. I've had, um, especially making meads, some issues like that. Um, it's one of the reasons why I switched to a spectrometer, um, because I was interested in doing more higher ABV stuff because you mix a lot of honey in with the water Yes, there's that sugar content, but there's also viscosity from the honey. 
So I wonder if your initial reading was just a little bit higher than it was supposed to be. No, it was math based on how much I added to the, cause I, I did a step feed for this. Oh, okay. So, so you just like used the calculator online? 1.08. Okay. And it went to 1.0. Then it went to 1.1 when I added a little bit more and then it got up to 1.155. Okay. I added a little bit more. Um, I also started with grape juice and not just water and honey. Uh, had allspice berries, cinnamon, cloves, lemon zest, lime zest, mandarin orange zest, uh, juice of mandarin orange and lemons, uh, and then the rind of the, you know, all three of the... Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because there's definitely some, some spice flavor to this. Yeah. And from your previous one, I was like, man, did all that come from the rind? Like, because like, you can see that stuff happen. You know, those oils mature in different ways. Yeah. But, um, but okay, yeah, definitely some spices in there. It was also EC1118. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it got up to the tolerance of the yeast, um, I'm pretty sure. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say it's 20%. I'm positive it's more than 15% um, ABV. And I'm very sure mm-hmm. that it's probably up to the tolerance of that 18% that really? EC1118 can, can get to. I was shooting for that with this. One. Okay. Um, now, this, I started it on... Uh, November the 7th. So um, it's not that old of a wine mm-hmm. either. Um, it's about eight months old. Um, and I'm very interested to see where this thing will go, uh, you know, in a year or so. I've got a yeah. bunch of bottles of it. So, But this one, while I, I, I will adjust it, I feel like this is one of my better things that I've Yeah, done. it's a pretty good recipe. I'd have to... I'd be interested in running it side by side with um, a hydrometer and a spectrometer to see what they're saying about the ABVs because this is really good, but I'd struggle on the taste profile and the legs on the glass to say this was higher than like 13 or 14% because I've got things in my house that are 18% that are way more powerful than what this tastes like. Mm-hmm. I, I But I was trying to trying to make it a... Um, the intention was for it to be less powerful, like it, it to be, to, for it to be one of those things where I use the arsenal of powders and things like that, that I have to be able to make it. So like I use finding power in it mm-hmm. and I use, um, things to make sure like that the yeast were shut down at the end. So like I, I set the, um, uh, used a Camden tablet and mm-hmm. some potassium sorbate to, to be able to make sure that they were. Um, yeah. So, so things like that, especially finding agents can affect flavor because you're removing all the sediment right. out of it, but it shouldn't affect the taste of the actual ethanol. I, I was just like, uh, giving examples. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying that would, that would affect the taste of the ethanol. I'm just saying like, th- this is one of those things that I've made this like three times now mm-hmm. and I was trying to, like really put forth all. Oh the yeah, yeah. It's and it's very good. It's very clear. I enjoy the flavor of it. But that would just be an, an interesting experiment to do because one, there's there's a little bit of a different flavor than I expected. Two, that's one of the reasons why I switched to a spectrometer is because it's better at high ABV, high sugar things when you start into them because hydrometers are only rated for particular um, ranges. And once you get to the extreme lows and the highs of that, they become less accurate. So, so the spectrometer that I have, the, it won't go this high for ABV. Really? What yeah. kind of spectrometer do you have? Um, it's, you know, 
it goes up to like 12%. It won't go above wow. 12%. Yeah, mine goes from, you know, completely dry to about like 25%. Mm. That's a really low range for a spectrometer. But, I mean, all the same, like the 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 spectrometer that I have, the... the, the um, it, I have not found it to be as accurate as really yeah, uh, uh, because the honey is supposed to be about 0.3, uh, 0.03 or 0.33. I'm sorry, uh, 0.33 points of gravity per pound, roughly, uh, depending on the honey and things like that. But the yeah. ones that I use, they generally are between 0.31 and 0.33. And every time I do it, it comes out like. Oh, this is only like a five percent ABV you mm-hmm. know, thing, uh, and it's only like 0.28 is you know, or, or like it's it's mm-hmm. like, it, and I'll put in a, like exactly two pounds, so a pound per gallon. Yeah, um, and it just it, it ends up being wonky. So either I'm not using it right, or um, the spectrometer is not calibrated correctly. But so I, I yeah, just get I, yeah, I was going to ask if you had um, when you first got it, if you did all the water tests with it to balance it. I did. You did. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. So so <laughs> let's talk about the Aloha fruit. The okay, yeah, that's true. We've got a whole other one to, to, <laughs> to touch on. Not, not the, 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 the ABV of this one, one way or the other, I'm, I'm absolutely positive that this one's between 7.5 and 8% ABV. Yeah. This one is a much younger uh, mm-hmm. session mead. Um, it is. It was made with um, mixed fruit that you like buy and frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, I put some EC one one eight in it. Then I put some carbonation drops to be able to give it some carbonation. And mm-hmm. I did like kind of the same methodology. Uh, tested it. It's only about a month and a half old. Um, it still okay. has like some. It has some interesting smells. To it because mm-hmm. the EC one one eight gives it like this kind of like yeasty um, smell to it, um, but it is a much um, it's much more like beer. It's still got some yeah. sweetness to it, um, and those fruit flavors are there. But these are all tropical fruits. That's mm-hmm. what we call it, Aloha fruit. So it's like pineapple, mango, mm-hmm. things like that. Gotcha. Um, and I'm just starting to learn how to make these things. So I made like a bunch of session meads. Like I made a blueberry mm-hmm. um, uh, hibiscus session mead and some other things like that. Um, but yeah, so I'm babbling on. Um, <laughs> you you tell me what you think. Well, it's really not bad. It's um, you, you hit it with it kind of tastes a little bit like a beer. It's like if you had like a fruit pale ale, but like cut the bitterness in half. You know, it's not like super hopped up or anything like that. It's pretty pleasant. You can definitely get those like essences of the tropical fruits, but not too many of those of the primary flavors, which is traditionally a very difficult thing to do anyway. That's kind of um, the hit on most of these high water content fruits. Um, it's like things like pineapple and watermelon and things like that. Those flavors are hard to get to stick around and give you a much lighter um you know, ale or meat or whatever your your primary is in that. And mangoes is one I've been wanting to try, but I've read those can be really tricky too because their sugar content is so high mm-hmm. that once some of that gets knocked down from the fermenting process, it's harder to get those flavors. Because that's where all the fruit flavors come from. It's the fructose that's in the fruit. So just like you take um, like an apple wine, if you go all the way dry, it doesn't really taste like apple anymore. It has maybe some of those like, 
oils from the rind still in it so there's like that essence of the fruit but you don't taste it so you have to go back and like back sweeten it with something yeah so this this was absolutely back sweetened with erythritol i put about a cup of erythritol in it okay so it's got this is a dry mead that has a non-fermentable sugar in it and i didn't pasteurize or anything like that after because mm-hmm. i wanted to have the carbonation um so it it's completely dry and uh, sweetened, back sweetened at the same time. <laughs> yeah, sorta. It. I would have struggled to place it as back sweetened. Um, there is a little, a little hint of stuff, but most of that sweetness I was attributing to the, like the, the oils of the fruit, the essences of them. But that would make sense if you're using like a sugar alcohol to go back and flavor it. That doesn't like hit the tongue really the same that like uh, fructose or glucose does. Can feel a lot airier. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, I don't think erythritol is a sugar alcohol. Really? Uh, it's a natural sugar. Okay. Well, I mean, plenty of plant-based sugar. Yeah. I don't believe it's a sugar alcohol. I believe it's like stevia, um, which is it's it's not stevia. So first of all, I'm not saying that. But it, you know, stevia comes from a particular kind of plant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Erythritol also comes from a particular kind of plant, and it is like it is harvested and everything like sugar is. Um, So it's just a sugar. um, It's a it's a sweet sugar you know, alternative that's, mm-hmm. that's non-glycemic. So yeah. um, be, me being uh, diabetic, I try to get the flavor of honey without the uh, extra calories and, you know, sugars. Yeah, yeah. That's always a struggle with meat because since it's not fully fermentable, there's always a little bit of sugar left over. And meat is already kind of harsh. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way um, economically to get rid of that is to back sweeten some. So, you know, the other one is, you know, you leash up to age for like two, three years. Yep. Some of that goes away. But no, nobody that's homebrewing wants to do that. You don't want to, <laughs> especially if you're making small batches. Like, I'll try that one gallon of thing, you know, when my kid graduates elementary school. You know, that's no, that's no fun. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see looking for something like that. So, I, th- I think that one of the things about this is this is something that I could sit on my back porch on a hot day. And when, when it's, these aren't cold right now. But the carbonation and everything makes it very light and easy to drink. Yeah. Uh, where and then that's the Aloha fruit that I'm talking about. Where the main squeeze is like, this is something you're drinking with dinner, and it mm-hmm. is potent. Yeah. Like it, the 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 difference between the two is just very stark. Yeah, um, it really is. I mean, you're right. The the Aloha one is very much like a sipping drink. It's fairly low ABV in terms of flavor. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's easy to sit there and drink a little bit of it, especially if you're hot that cooled down with a little bit of ice and it would be great. Yeah. Um, it would also make like a really good alcohol base for something like a Rattler. Yeah. You know, add a little like diet lemon lime soda to that would really like bring a lot of activity to it. Mm-hmm. It might be a good mixer with like a ginger beer. Yeah. Um, or something like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. I mean, I've got, you know, I don't know, 20 or so bottles of the Aloha Yeah, fruit. experiment with and them. The main squeeze, I have less. It's like eight or nine bottles, but still, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save one of the main squeezes for a couple of years, and then we're going to come back to it. Um, so overall, in, in the range of things that I've made so far, the, I think these follow closer to the top than the bottom. Yeah, I'd say that. They're not the best. I think the pie mint that I've made, that spice pie mint, is still like mm. up there in the best category. And I've got a couple other things that I've made that I'm like, this is really good. Yeah. Um, coffee mills still struggles. <laughs> well, those, are, still, those are hard. Coffee yeah. mills have, have a reputation for being very difficult to do. If you're 
really trying to capture the flavor of that coffee. Now, if you don't mind coffee essence, then they're not as hard. But if you really wanted to be like, I want this to be like I put some alcohol in a cup of coffee, that's hard to pull off. I think I figured out how to do it. Okay. Um, but that's another show. So. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Ravencoin uh, and Conflux mm-hmm. and like kind of the differences and the same. Uh, and, um, you know, like our kind of journey with stocks and meme stocks and mining and stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. Since we've been on break. Yeah. Um, so you've done some research. I've been mining. I'll let mm-hmm. you talk about the research uh, first and then we can talk about me mining. Yeah. So I'll start with the older one, which is Ravencoin which is essentially a cryptocurrency take on commodities. Um, It's not a traditional coin in the sense that it's trying to be a money replacement. And you could use it for that. I mean, you can certainly buy and sell or mine Ravencoin Mm -hmm. onto an exchange and do all that with it, which is what most people think right off the bat um, with any coin is, you know, how do you monetize it? How do you turn it into dollars? Or does it have a hope of being the new dollar? Um, What Ravencoin does really well is you can go in, take Ravencoin and branch it into an own custom coin with a predetermined amount, either how many he just has or like what the maximum is going to be and kind of work out all the math on like how it gets mined. So the idea behind Ravencoin is it's a way to bring blockchain technologies into like everyday items. Like you're going to go to a movie concert well, instead of them having to register on like one of the ticket sites or to print physical tickets or anything like that, you know, they can make, uh, you know, a hundred concert coins. And when you buy one, they send you just a link to it. They store it in either their own online wallet or if you have your own wallet, boom, throw it in your wallet. Uh, when you come to the concert, you just transfer it back to them. Fairly fast transaction times when you're looking at it in that context. Right. You know, in terms of money replacement, I think we already touched on, maybe we did, maybe you and me have just talked about it. Yeah. But that one of the struggles for cryptocurrencies is that traditional fiat currency is very fast to transfer, hundreds of transactions a second. Um, I think Ravencoin is, and don't quote me on this, it's been a little while since I looked it up, I think it was 27 interactions per second, Mm -hmm. something like that, which is plenty fast when you start talking about like, it's tickets for your concert, or it's movie tickets, or it's a fundraising thing. You know, there's tons of stuff you could use it for when you've got something with a definitive limited supply, you want to be able to pass out and trade around. That's the other nice thing that's uh, about it is since you've got ownership built into this token you know let's say i bought a movie ticket and i'm like oh man i can't go hey joe do you want it i could transfer it to you and there's not all that complications there are like today by trading tickets because since they're secured via the blockchain it doesn't matter that i kind of gave it to you you can still it's still unique you can tell, oh, this hasn't been copied. This isn't counterfeit. This isn't. You can see in the chain, this person transferred it to that person. Which makes it really good for things like NFTs or mm-hmm. any other sort of thing like that. One of the problems that we have with Ravencoin is it's not being used for those things. Like no one's yeah. really using it. They're using Ethereum yeah. to do those things. Yeah, it hasn't had the has adoption. Higher, it, Ethereum has a higher cost to it than yeah. Ravencoin would that context well i don't think it's as easy to split ethereum as part of is is one of the issues no it's not really well so so it's they they're doing some things to make it a little bit 
easier to mm-hmm. split. Uh, and they're also doing some things to make those costs go down. But the gas prices, I mean, like you could spend $150 to be able to put one NFT up, depending on you know the exchange and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, NFT definitely has its own problems. Right. Um, but Ravencoin, I think the biggest problem with Ravencoin is it doesn't have a big enough adoption. They're having a harder time breaking out into this is how we want you to use us. Because there's some decent action on Ravencoin as being mined and sold. Yeah. You no know, being used for, for monetary stuff. But I have not, at least in, like I'm sure people are doing it, but nothing's been public enough that even doing some research, I was able to find a solid, this is someone using Ravencoin for commodity. They have taken Ravencoin and split it into CoolCoin. And the CoolCoins are used for like arcade cards or something like that. You know, that immediate split and and fund, which is kind of what their white paper is all about, um, that hasn't really picked up, I think is the only thing with Ravencoin. I, I agree. I, I don't think that um, it, it really has hit that stride yet. And mm-hmm. uh, I think people are looking at that as an alternative, but uh, they've got other things like Conflux and um, other coins like that. And, and really, I mean... Most people that are mining these things are not looking at them in these kind of esoteric, creative ways of using these mm-hmm. these things. They're using it to be able to move fiat currency from a coin system into something else. And they're yeah. trying to get the coin to be worth more yeah. than a uh, fiat mm-hmm. dollar, whatever that fiat dollar is in yeah. whatever area, whether that's U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be kind of the next Bitcoin yeah. or Ethereum or something like that. And so people are less concerned about uh, using it as a token than they are or a digital transfer item like yeah. music or something like that. Then they are looking to use it like some sort of um, coin that they can exchange for a good or another coin. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I think that's one of the one of the issues with the cryptocurrency in general. Yeah. But now you've done some research on Conflux, also. I have, yeah. Which is based which, on the Octopus, uh, um, which is a different. Oops, I hit my mic. Which is a different um, uh, uh, algorithm. The mm-hmm. Octopus algorithm is so it's different than like Ethereum or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. But anyway, that that was the one that was the easiest, but also the hardest to research. Um, they have a wonderful site that has tons of white papers and tons of explanations on what their coin does as well as their entire suite of software. I think that's one of the one things that I'm both really happy about and a little bit sad about with Conflux is they've put a lot of effort into tons of different development tools for integrating it places. But they've gone as far as to have their own versions of wallets, their own versions of exchange algorithms, their Mm -hmm. own versions of like browser extensions to try and run your stuff in. Um, On one hand, that's really nice. It's nice that a person that's made a coin is trying to help bridge that, you know, digital last mile. And how do I get people uh, integrating it with their technologies? The concern I have with it, it is all very tightly coupled. Mm -hmm. And so I worry, okay, you get somebody, I want to do Conflux, but I don't want to use all your other tools. And they kind of say on paper, oh, yeah, you don't have to use our tools. But doing some research on that, I haven't found 
I found a lot of people and by lot for cryptocurrency really only means one or two. So uh, don't take that with, with too much authority that the, like the whole community, the whole feels this way. But um, there's a couple of people complaining. It's, it's much more difficult to integrate it in with other tools um, because they're not the sort of documentation for how to do it because they've got their own solution. And they kind of want to use that solution. I mean, Ravencoin was kind of like that when it first came out too. Yeah. To be fair, Ravencoin's still like that. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think that's part of that going against the brand. You know, Ravencoin was never intended to be something like a Bitcoin that's right. that's aimed at fiat currency. Um, but I mean, CoinFlux very much is. It is, yeah. is a much more traditional coin. Um, good transaction times, they say. I wasn't able to find any benchmarks to prove they actually transfer that fast. It's, it's, it, I mean, I'm I'm doing it, and um, I get paid out once a day. Uh, at, a, at a certain time and there is about two seconds between the time that it says that it's pending and the time that it ends yeah so. but not not even that so that's that's like transfer time which is yeah. which is important but I'm, I'm thinking transaction time because it's saying it can do 200 a second yeah. that it's as fast as fiat currency but i can't find anyone that's benchmarked and actually got those results i i i can't do any more than what i'm doing right now exactly there's like so, nothing we can do to test it well um, so so far what what i'm saying is with like Ravencoin, mm-hmm. it takes like 15 minutes for me to get my coin generally. So like it is faster in terms of the time that it's deposited in my wallet from the time that it says that I'm going to have it. Yeah. Money. And that's, that's more like the, the validation because right. Cause when you transfer a coin, it's not just a one step process. Um, each coin has a certain number of basically validations that they have to do. And Ravencoin is fairly high. Um, it's something like, 50 or 100 mm-hmm. validations. I couldn't find any uh, text to say how much it is with CoinFlux. And the validations aren't bad. And again, in the context of what Ravencoin is, if I bought something online and it took 15 minutes to arrive, that's still not bad for the most part. No. I mean, I do stuff with fiat currency, like signing up for memberships that's not that quick. Yep. So, um, but we'll see. They're, they're, they've CoinFlux really has a lot of stuff behind some smoke and mirrors. It's a lot harder to get to the deep down technicals on them. Um, they make a lot of great claims that look like it could be a good contender against fiat currency, you know, somewhere closer to like how Ethereum operates yep. in terms of scalability. Uh, and my only other concern with it though, is that it's all from one company based out of Shanghai. Yep. And China has a pretty poor reputation of scamming people in cryptocurrencies. Yep. So, I would want to see it get a little bit older before I got invested in it. But if the claims they make are true, it's a pretty impressive piece of technology. I, I think I'm willing to mine it um, to, and, and it's fairly easy to mine. Yeah. Um, to be able to have some and hold on to it in some sort of, you know, thing. Um, as long as it doesn't just disappear one day. Yeah. If you can find a wallet that's, someone has made work outside of the ones that they provide and they're like browser extensions and stuff. Oh yeah. I'd say there is one. Uh, Okay. There's a mobile wallet that you can use that does that. What I would like to have is a hardware wallet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, But I mean, even then, like one of the things that's nice about it right now is it's instantly worth more than uh, like a a Ravencoin or a turtle coin or one of those other coins. Yeah. What's it trading for right now? Uh, I didn't check into that. 40 to 50 cents per, um, for U S dollar. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, it fluctuates. It goes down yeah, to yeah, 30 obviously. and it goes up to like 60. That, that's all crypto, right? Especially right, right now. Right. Yes. It's all, it's all fluctuating. I mean, this is a, a long game kind of coin, I think also, because I think right now what maybe you want to do is get like three, four, five hundred, six hundred of these coins mm-hmm. and set all of them. Yeah. See what happens with them. Yeah. That's not a bad strategy for really any of the fast to minor cheaper coins. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really plan to, uh, once I, kind of sell off most of my stocks in the stock market um, when I'm done doing that stuff to just take a chunk of money and be like, look, I'll throw $150, $200 at like 10, 15 coins. I think they're not worth a lot right now. Yep. Maybe someday. Maybe one day. Yeah. Because, you know, you never know. Like you buy it for 50 cents and then one day it's 20 bucks. That's a great return. Even better for some of these ones that are still worth fractions of a penny. You know, buy a hundred thousand or something. Look, who knows? So even if it goes up to only like, you know, a, a whole penny, you've made a significant amount of money back. Yeah. So uh, that that's one thing. I mean, meme stocks happen. GameStop. Oh yeah. AMC happened uh, over over the break that we were, and we haven't talked about that. So shifting gears a little bit since you brought that up from from crypto mining, which is. Even though it hit a boom, it's still super profitable to do right now in its slump. Yeah. Uh, and pro- probably good for someone like me who's willing to take a risk mm-hmm. to buy some crypto coin. But there's also some other things that are going on, like stocks that are going nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just this weekend, AMC went from $10 a share to like $25 a share. Yeah, it hit a top of 30 Yeah. I actually think I'm a little higher than that. Uh, overnight and then it dropped back down no it, it hit it got up to 28 overnight because look i had options uh, expiring that week or th- this last week i was glued to my phone i was <laughs> when my kid woke me up at two o'clock in the morning to like cover her back up i checked the stocks i wanted to see where they were at yeah um it got up to something like 27 or 28 overnight and then in the first hour of the morning on the u.s open it hit 30 and some change and then shot right back down yeah um it still ended at like 26 and then after hours it settled at like 25 but it's still yeah. it's you know 150 percent improvement yep. from like the last friday so you definitely can't complain about that um but yeah there's it really has had the lid blown off of it on these highly shorted stocks and i think the biggest thing that's really done it is that it didn't finish in january I feel like when it shot up in January, if it had continued to shoot up to like a thousand dollars, and almost everyone would have been happy to sell, and then this would have been over, and it wouldn't be so crazy. But since that didn't happen, there have been millions of people digging into the numbers, like just crowdsourcing information of what's going on here. And seeing so much of it have technical backing, it's nuts. Because yep. like when I, I bought a couple in January on the first rise and was like, cool, I'd love a little bit more money for a down payment. A couple of which stop. GME. GME. And, and I bought some AMC in January when it had the first rise. Yeah. So I bought a couple of GME and I was like, ah, you know, I'll sell it. And kind of exactly what I said. Maybe like 900000 That's going to get me a little bit extra money into the down payment for my house, which is what I wanted right then. Mm-hmm. And then boom, I, I'd be done. Um, but when it didn't have, it was like, oh, that's sad. I didn't sell it because I, I just didn't invest so much 
that I felt it was worth it to sell it until I'd done a lot of research. And then I started doing research and seeing everybody else's research. And now it's been months and my position has increased like 15 fold. You know, it's crazy to see that as much as like we call these things meme stocks because everyone jumped on in the beginning, how much like technical research has gone in yep. to show why these things are happening. Like uh, the biggest thing that blew my mind was if I, as as like a, a banking authority, want to give you a stock, I'm, I'm selling you something. To be able to do that, to legally do that transaction, I just have to have the reasonable expectation, air quotes, reasonable expectation that I would be able to do it. I don't actually have to have those stocks and I tell you I'm going to do them. I just have to think, ah, well, you know, I could probably get them in time. And that sort of wording made a lot of sense 30, 40 years ago. Maybe even longer than that. Yeah, that's true. Pro- closer to the 40 years ago. Yeah. When 40, things were starting to go digital. Ago. Yeah. Before you know. digital transactions. Yeah. Well, even at the beginning of the digital transaction, because that was wild. I did a lot of research on that, of how inefficient some of those early systems were, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, my father was a, a programmer doing significant things, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Like, before GPS was openly available and there were things like the the big boys like google maps and stuff like that he would write gps applications for delivery companies and it was still this very manual okay type in all the places you're going to go and you know obviously it didn't have things like traffic data or any of that stuff so you could say that what he wrote had the reasonable expectation it could give you the fastest route it can't guarantee it. It can't even come close to guaranteeing it because there could be an accident somewhere we don't know about. Right. But this is, in terms of reported mileage, the shortest um, path there. So I can see that sort of terminology working back then where it's like, look, okay, if the computer doesn't do it, we'll, we'll you know, get Johnny to run down, buy a couple physical uh, certificates, and he'll run them over to you. It might be a day or two late. You know, that, that stuff makes sense. But now, in modern day... Or fiat currency can do 200 transactions a second on a visa. <laughs> um, I don't think that flies anymore. No, it doesn't. And it uh, doesn't. I think the world's woke up, so that's not going to fly anymore. Because there's tons of new laws getting passed about this stuff. Um, but none of them take down the elephant in the room. That there's three or four stocks that are still superly overshorted. And now there's millions of people that know yep. they're overshorted. Because that's some of those valuable information you can have as a stock trader is what your positions are. You guard those things. You don't tell people what your positions are because then they know how to do exactly what's happening, counter you. Yep. You know, some of these hedge funds came out and made official statements that, look, we've closed our positions. And then you get thousands of mass petitions that sit down and say, no, it's not possible. No way that you did that. Yeah. Look at, look at what was traded and sold at what prices. It's not possible you've done it um so yeah we'll see what happens it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting next few months as far as that concerned it not, is it is absolutely yeah. i'm I, not I, sure how it all turn out but i'm certainly interested in it i i think we're going to see i mean it, we may not see them reach the predicted thousands of dollars mm-hmm. per stock but they could they could um, and there's things like GameStop's doing things to like create their own NFTs for possibly reselling digital games like we talked about yep. the other day yep. or creating other NFT type markets within yep. GameStop. So and, GameStop. And even, yeah. And even if none of those things happened, um, people went to some of their remade stores and yeah. filmed inside of them and they look amazing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for reference, you know, 
people not in this area are not going to understand it too well, but we've got this uh, local comic book slash game store in here in Durham, whose name I've forgotten, but I know you Atomic know Atomic Empire. Atomic Empire. And like the front half of the store is where like all the merchandise is. Yep. And the back half of the store is just open play areas. Yep. And that's where the new GameStops are. Yeah. Whole back half is just couches and TVs and gaming computers. And um, places that you can go to game at a price, you know, or for free, depending on what their whim is. It, yeah. They're setting all, themselves up to be in some really good places. Yeah. I mean, those like internet cafe style things that aren't as kind of like seedy. Yeah. Because a lot of um, internet cafes have been open, not so much like where we are, but they were for a time very popular in places like New York City. Um, and I guess by popular, I really mean there were a lot of them, yep. but most of them closed because nobody went to them because they were just there to just get internet. Right. And you know, most people that really cared about the internet had the internet. Especially nowadays, you have it like on every device. But an idea that maybe my power play or whatever they call it uh, membership is tied back to my library of games, which are all NFTs, and I can just go into your store, type my code in. And then suddenly I can play any of the games I own on your computers with my friends, you know, imagine if it all connects that way. That'd be huge. Yeah. I, I think that it, it might be free now, but you're always either the, the product or you're being. Yeah. I very, to to pay for yeah, stuff I very much expect, um, cause these stores they've been redoing, I don't think are fully open yet. Yeah. I very much expect if you're just showing up, you're, you're going to have to pay a certain amount of money. To, yeah. to play on the machines. It only makes sense. Like you can't let people play on it for free um, and just hope well, because like things like atomic empire, they serve drinks and they serve snacks yeah. and stuff like that to make their money from you staying around. Well, they, the, um, they also like, they'll let you try a game mm-hmm. or they'll have a tournament. Um, and if you want to buy the game, you can buy it. And if you want to participate in the tournament, then you can pay a fee to participate. In the yeah. Game. So they have yeah. like multiple avenues of, um, uh, and I'm talking about Atomic Empire. Yeah. Of of getting funds through that stuff. Yeah, they do. I'm not sure GameStop will ever get to that level. Just because with computer games, it's a little bit harder to to. I'm not. pretty sure they will. I'm fairly positive. Well, no. Will. Yeah. Let me let me finish that thought. In the terms of like, just somebody can walk in and it's free. It will have a couple demos set up, and it's enough to just like let somebody stay as long as they want. Um, they have a much smaller like shop space yes. now. So I worry about that. But I very much expect there'll probably be some small nominal fee. Or if you're one of their members, it'll be free. Or there's like a tier of membership. It's like, oh, unlimited play in yeah, our maybe whatever. I, I, I have a feeling that it's probably going to be more, it's going to be something that's more nuanced than that. Because the, when when I was growing up, well, actually, after I'd kind of become an adult, there, there was a similar idea. This is not a new idea to do these sort of things with a gaming store. And um, there was this place called Boardwalk and Park Place. They had this fairly large uh, area that you could go in and they had a computer game section and it basically did the same thing. And they had land party tournaments mm-hmm. and prizes and things like that. And I think that's probably the direction that ultimately it's going to head into is where people are like, they have the digital Magic the Gathering tournaments or they have... Um, you know, a uh, probably like a Fortnite tournament or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And you go in and you all get on the same server or they might even work with, um, you know, like one of those companies, um, you know, whether it's Blizzard or whatever, you know, yeah. company. Uh, and then, um, you know, they, they would be able to say, okay, we're going to host a local tournament 
where someone has to come to our physical store, they pay a fee, and mm. they can leave with like a uh, a prize, mm. uh, and it's played with like you know like an esports type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that's probably the direction that it's going. Yeah, it's probably something like that. Yeah. Um. So. We went over a little bit from what we normally would do. Uh, this this is a very topics. interesting one, um, I, I think. Uh, I, th- I think we'll probably revisit this. I think we're probably going to revisit these wines also. Mm. Uh, I, just to let you guys know, I do another thing on YouTube. Uh, it's called The Accidental Brewer. I'll put the link down below. There's no pressure for anyone that listens to us to do that. And probably most of the people that do listen to us already know about it. But um, that that's there. And you can hear a little bit more or watch me make some of these things. And if you're interested in trying to make them yourself, I'd love to love to see that happen. Uh, otherwise, um, this has been, well, so, so let, let me go back a little bit since I, I thank Rob at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. the, I've kind of like not been promoting our Patreon for this channel. I'm thinking about going and open that back up because this has been something having the ability to get some new equipment like this. Yeah get some better mics, get some better stuff. I really feel like it. it's moved our podcast up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the audio quality and everything is so much better. Um, it, so I'm wondering if maybe uh, I should open it back up and see if someone else, you know, or other people are willing to, to contribute. And then if that's the case, you know, we can do some things like maybe some virtual hangouts or something like mm-hmm. that as rewards for it, uh, which we, we have our own like kind of discord server that we run it's kind of tied to it almost also. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, playing D&D and doing some other stuff like that. It might be kind of fun to do this. I mean, this is just a for-fun project. It's not mm-hmm. for-profit. But um, if anyone's willing to, to become part of the community and give and kind of interact with us, then we could do some more things like, you know, live streams or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that sounds good. All right. Well, then in that case, I'll put it back. I'll start putting that stuff back in and we'll see what you guys do. And if you think that that's uh, fun, uh, because it's the whole point of this is to be fun and talk about, you know, fun, nerdy stuff like mm-hmm. we do. Um, so that said, uh, we've got some good episodes coming up about headphones and iPods and things like that. Uh, otherwise, thanks for wa- listening. Thanks for listening, not watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, to Season 4, Episode 3 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, uh, and we'll catch you next time.